We hope you enjoy listening to this weekly podcast from Lifeline Church. Find out more by visiting lifelinechurch.co.uk. Anyway, I'm in Romans 9, and if you ever went to any form of Bible school and somebody gave you this passage to preach on, you'd want to run for the hills. Uh, not the whole bit, but the bit I'm going to do, you think, dear me. Nine, uh, verse six, I'll go from. It's not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for through the tw- though the twins were not yet born and had not yet done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, and this is the bit I feel God's going to say, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. There's a classic verse to want to, to want to have to preach on, isn't it? Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. Uh, If your Bible teacher gave you that to speak on, you would think he hated you, wouldn't you? I'm sure. A couple of things just to say by way of introduction to get out of the way before we get into the the meat of the word. I have to think that people misunderstand scriptures because we don't read them in context. And I don't mean the rest of Romans. I mean the context of the whole of the scripture, remember, is it's written from a person, a personal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think it's important that we remember that and that God himself identifies as a father overall. Also, I know as a husband, as a friend, but primarily as a father. And so, before you get super excited or super worried, this is not going to be about predestination versus free will. The context of the Bible, think of a father, and I'm just... I'm going to sort out the Calvin-Arminian debate here in 30 seconds. How about that for being impressive? But, but it's partly because we don't understand the context. As a father, I do understand some of God's context. What do you want your children to know? That they were chosen, that they were loved, that they're not an accident, it can't be removed, you will always love them. Isn't that true? And so God speaks in places like Ephesians 1, predestined before the foundation of the world, chosen in love, before all of creation. Why? Because if you're his child, that's what you need to know to grow. You're not some sort of accident. It's not up to you, it's up to him. Salvation belongs to God. That same child, as they get older, we have three daughters and a son. Uh, They're all magnificent, uh, but our children, because the son's last, the children says eventually we had a son and got it right. It's a bit of a shame for them, but... uh, He's in the Royal Marines in training. Now, I can tell you this. My raising of Callum as a son is very different to the way he was treated when he went to the Royal Marines. You see, I wanted him to know, as his dad, that I love him and I've always been proud of him. People used to say to me, when he qualified as a Royal Marine, they said, you must be so proud of your son. I said, no, I was already proud of him. I'm just amazed at what he's now achieved. Because that's my job as a father, 
that he was chosen before he was even born by us. You know, when he gets old enough to join the Marines, he started asking me questions about whether he should do it. So as a father, I'm saying, you're responsible for your decisions. Find God. It's up to you now. You, as my daughter says, you will choose your choices. And when the Royal Marine commanders get hold of him, they don't say, how you doing, son? Are you okay? Is this a bit tough for you? When we used to uh, FaceTime him, when he was in the middle of his training, I had to hold Jenny back sometimes. He'd say, oh, it's been really, really tough today. I feel almost dead on my feet. Uh, and she'd go, oh, you, stop. He's not a poor boy. He hasn't joined a local knitting circle. He's trying to be one of, an elite soldier, for goodness sake. <laughs> Don't tell him, ah. Oh. <laughs> the point is, both scriptures are true, aren't they? You are chosen, you are loved. You are in the hand of God, he won't let you go. But listen, as you grow in him, it's shape up or ship out, right? <laughs> because it's time to become a soldier and own your responsibilities and your decisions. These things are both true. And when you have a context and you understand God as a person, it starts to make sense. You don't think for one second God decided to inspire the Bible and then send his son just so we could argue for thousands of years, you know, whether it's election or whether it's free will. Oh, for goodness sake, grow up. And understand the scriptures from God's personal point of view, if I can put it that way. A second thing I just want to get out of the way, too. It's becoming commonplace these days. And let's face it, I am passionate, very, very passionate about explaining the grace and love of God, which you will find out. But I hear more and more Christians talking about when things happen or, and people behave the way they do and, and so on and so on. They say, yeah, well, we're all God's children. Yeah, no, we're not, you see. That's not what the Bible teaches. From Genesis, we're all God's creation. We certainly ain't God's children. And if you want to know about that, listen to Jesus. He turns to some of the people, some of the people, thankfully, of Israel and says, you are of your father, the devil. He lied from the beginning. He's lying now. He tells a parable about the wheat and the weeds. He says, the wheat is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And sometimes we have this sort of nice view of God rather than this loving view of God. That somehow everybody's okay. It'd just be nice if they were a bit nicer with Jesus in them. Read Ephesians 2. We are by nature objects of wrath. I know this is a strange thing to understand. Why am I saying this so much about this? I, don't, I want to get off this subject quickly. But, but it's important for you. If you walked in on someone raping and murdering your daughter, right? And then you, that was repeated every single day. Do you think your attitude would be, if someone was there to stop it, you know what, I just want you to look the other way. We have sinned against the sovereign of the universe and we do it day after day, minute after minute, hour after hour. You don't think that's gonna have consequences? But the point I'm making is this. There is a difference. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Not everybody's a child of God. To be a child of God, you have to be what? Born again. You have to be born from above. I don't want to get distracted. That's a whole subject in itself. But I just think we need to get out of niceness and into the love of God 
which is a very different thing. And we were, in fact, it was Rihanna was with me, we were talking, I was talking, <laughs> not unusual, at a meeting in South Africa. And I asked Rhiannon, this is dangerous to ask Rhiannon this, actually. I said, have you ever seen me angry? And she said, yes, twice. I think she was inspired at this moment. She gave me all the right answers. Rather than, uh, and so I said to Rhiannon in front of everybody there, so when, when was that? And she said, well, you know what? You pretend to be angry a lot. I can usually tell. I know, I know it means you're serious, but I've only ever really seen you properly angry twice. I said, when was that? She said, both times I put my life in danger. You understand, God is love. If there's love, there's wrath. I know people don't really get that. If there's love, there is wrath. If you want to find out, and obviously I'm not God, but try touching my wife or children. Because I love them, the consequence of that, there will be wrath. And because God is love, there is both things. And this idea that somehow there's only one side is not really helpful. Anyway, let's get to the word. But that's supposed to be clear in the way, believe it or not. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Why is this important? Well, we don't want a personality cult, but I think it's very, very important we understand this in that verse. Because I was asking God about it. What's, what's he really saying here? What was true about them? And overall, this is the message, really. So let's just sum it up, and then I want to bring some points out of it. Jacob fought for the birthright whereas Esau sold his birthright for a single meal. This message really would, should be entitled Birthright versus Blessing. You understand? It's birthright versus blessing. Jacob sometimes did the wrong thing for it, but he fought for it, he deceived for it, he wrestled for it, he did all sorts of things, but he was going to get the birthright no matter what. Esau, on the other hand, sold his birthright for a single meal. Why is that so important to God? And why would it mean he loved one and hated the other? We know what birthright speaks about. It speaks about your delight at the DNA that's been passed on to you, at being in the lineage of that, the person who's given it. For God, this is really precious to him then, isn't it? That you acknowledge that you have come from his life source. Esau, ha, don't care. Stuff that, give me the goods, the product. I want the blessing. And we can end up doing that all the time. And I find often we, d- we can do it with leaders. I've got some young people I'm working with in South Africa who are business folks. I've got some other folks who've run, run the company that's been seven times the best company in South Africa. These younger business guys sometimes say, oh, you know, why don't, uh, why don't we get what they get? Well, you haven't walked what they've walked. That's why. <laughs> you aren't inside you who they are. That's why. And we're going to talk about overall DNA and birthright and blessing. But simply put, John and Dawn didn't wake up one morning and think, you know what, let's do Lifeline and it won't be a problem. We won't have to pay any price. Nothing will be difficult for us. We'll just make sure it happens. And so today they're here with all of you here and all sorts of things happening across the world because it was that much of a doddle. Now, the problem is we can want what we see has happened from them without fighting for what happened in them. If you don't want the birthright, the blessing in the end will sour on you, I'm telling you. 
if you don't get the, the who and the why and the being, the blessing will be no good to you as it wasn't to Esau. It is a critical thing that we pick up the DNA. That's why I say this is connected to John must die. Except to see the wheat fall to the ground and dies, it abides alone. So it's not actually the natural death of John, which has got nothing to do with me. There's more up to dawn, that one. <laughs> it's more this. If God sows a seed in them of life, what he expects is that life to be reproduced. Not lifeline to be reduced, reproduced, but that life to be reproduced. And too often we want the... It says to me all the time, when I tell people about what's happening and we're seeing happening on the earth, how do you do that? Wrong question. The right question. Who do you need to be so that God can do it through you? Whatever he wants to do. And as he created you in him, Ephesians 2 verse 10, unto good works which he prepared in advance for you to do, even then he wants you to be who you are so you can do what he's prepared for you to do, not do what he's prepared for me to do or John to do. But the issue is, is laying hold of him and his call on you and becoming all he's called you to be. God loves that. But when we would just want the stuff, God hates that. Why is God so passionate about this? The birth of all evil comes from this sin. All evil. Satan. Let's start there, because obviously we assume evil comes from Satan. But where was it born? Now, you can read in the Old Testament where pride rose in its heart, but where did even the pride come from? God created Satan and made him the highest of his creations. Evil was born... The moment Satan said, I don't want to be who God made me to be. I want more. The birth of all evil is when you despise your birthright. The birth of all evil in you. Because the birth of all evil in the universe was when Lucifer despised his birthright. So when Esau comes along and despises his birthright, what God is seeing there is the same sin that Satan committed before the foundation of the world, which has brought evil into the universe. It is the ultimate rebellion. Why did you make me this way? On the other hand, Jacob is, let me have it. <laughs> I was born into this family. I want to be all that this family has for me to have. So the birth of all evil came from his despising his birthright. You know what was worse? The comparison he made. He sold his birthright for a single meal, but he would kill for the blessing. He was prepared to kill his brother to get the blessing. He wasn't prepared to give up a single meal for the birthright. It's interesting. <laughs> I don't want to predict this next thing. I'm going to a meeting when I leave here at the end of this afternoon. I'm going to a meeting on the other side in the, you know, in the rich part of London. And I have to deliver something there. And they're always saying, this stuff that you're talking about, radical ways of following Jesus and new types of community and breakthrough, we really want it. Wait, really? Really? Uh, I was talking to some folks in Bath about the same thing. I'm not sure you do. You seem very, very keen. But the problem is, 
<laughs> for, a single, for a single diary date, you'll miss your birthright. <laughs> but for this blessing that you perceive, you'll do anything to get it. Instead of Jesus being Lord, a lot of us, our diaries are Lord, right? Sort of like, well, you know, actually, Jesus may want me, but uh, I'm already booked that moment. I could go on about a lot of things like that, but it's, it's this. Uh, we say we want to passionately pursue God, uh, Jesus being Lord, but sometimes our diary is Lord. Sometimes the relationships around us are Lord. Sometimes it's even our Christian duty that's Lord, rather than who he is that's Lord. And we'll pray because we know or we hope that at the end of prayer, we'll get the blessing. When actually what God wants us to do in prayer is to get him. You want to know something? It's an interesting thing about prayer, isn't it, really? Someone's asked this, a deep question again. Why does God ask us to pray when he already knows what we want? There in that question, you have just sold yourself down the river. Why does God ask us to pray when he knows what we want? Ouch. Imagine you're God and you're a person, <laughs> which he is. So what you mean is you will talk to me when you want something. Now, I know when your kids are young, that's what they do. You know, grandma, is there chocolates in your purse? Otherwise, they're not interested, right? But as you grow up, it ought to be that you want the person. You just need to be around the graveside of someone you love to wake up. God wants us to pray. Why? Because he loves you and he wants to relate to you. And you know what? The more you talk with him and ask things and talk through things with him, the more you'll start to get his will and heart. So when Jesus says, ask anything in my name and I'll do it for you, you will start to be attuned because you're becoming like him. And therefore, it won't just be that you'll be requesting. Your prayer will start to turn to intimacy with God and declaration authority on the earth. That's what Jesus was like, because you are becoming like him. So God wants you to pray, so not so he can do things, so that you will start to do things because you become like him. I sometimes think it must be a massive insult to God, saying, Lord, will you save such and such and save this person, that person? The Bible is very clear about this. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He's not willing that any should perish. If only I could say that about me. I can think of several people I'd be happy they perished. You know, now you might say, oh, yeah, 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 well, I know. Come on. So I meet with God to pray with God so that I start to get his heart for people. So therefore, I can then start to share his love. So it's about DNA rather than product. Big John, the guy I mentioned earlier on, uh, he, uh, did I tell you he's big? Anyway, that's not the point. <laughs> but he, when I met him, first of all, he's, he, uh, I kept on saying to him, the thing is, John, you need to be born again. Now, he used to get really irritated with me about that, he said, but something made him stick around. I usually have that effect on people as well. It has to be God that keeps them there. But basically, he said, well, I've been born again for ages. He's been planting churches all through Africa and even into Israel. So, I mean, he wasn't just a novice. I said, but you need to be born again. He said, because I think... You're still seeing things through Christianity, not through Christ. You've been around Christianity so long, you've got it all summed up. You're not seeing it in Jesus. One of my greatest thrills is, funny enough, 
I was born again at the boarding school. The guy who helped me find Christ, he introduced me to Jesus, not to Christianity. It's a while before I met Christianity. It sucked then. It still sucks. But anyway, it, so it was, it was important to... Being born again is not just about coming to faith in Christ, because that's a religious interpretation. What Jesus actually said was this. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So of course that is being born again to new life, free from the thing we know about. But actually, if you want anything from God, you have to be born again into it. it. The spirit gives birth to spirit. The flesh gives birth to flesh. Even what I'm saying now, unless you are born again of the spirit, you won't get it. It needs to be that the spirit witnesses with his spirit and your spirit, and God births something fresh in you. So you can't take away this word and say, yeah, we must get serious about, you know, looking after John and Dawn or whatever you think I'm talking about. Uh, (laughs) And so we're going to do something. You'll have missed it completely. God wants you to get a passion for his DNA and the passion for his DNA that you put in these guys to learn from it. But it has to be born in you from above. And every new revelation has to be born from above. You cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again and again. And again, and again, and again. It's a supernatural process that takes place. On the positive side, why the DNA? It's interesting, I think, now in these ages of computers, which uh, I'm a dinosaur by that, in that computer thing, by the way. Uh, that probably won't surprise you. And so if you ever get to me on email or any, I'm not on Facebook or any of those other things. Uh, firstly, I don't want to be found. And <laughs> it's hard enough trying to keep out of Interpol's grasp without everybody knowing. No, I'm off. But, but I believe in computer language, you have an IP address. Is that right? So everybody's got an IP address these days. But it's interesting, isn't it? I think maybe we've come, come to terms now because actually what you need to have is an identity purpose address. Identity, purpose in God, address. That's what you need. Everybody needs that. And so the birthright is about understanding your identity. Most cultures, the the original surnames are son of. Because it's about identity. And what's important to understand there is when God introduces himself to Moses, Moses says, who shall I say sends me? He says, tell them I am has sent you. In other words, God identifies himself with being an identity. I am has sent you. If you don't know who you are, or more importantly, who he's made you to be, you'll never be able to be effective for him. Where does that come from? As we behold the I am, we can be born again into the I am who I am by the grace of God. We at 1 Corinthians 15, that's what Paul the Apostle says there. As I behold I am, then I become, I am who I am by the grace of God. Which is amazing in terms of being able to enjoy being me. And loving my birthright, and knowing then, let me live out who God's called me to be, and let me help others live out who God's called them to be. I was asked in South Africa by a young lady, because I was talking to them about this sort of subject. If you could sum up in a sentence your heart, what would it be? I hadn't really thought of it like that as a sentence, but I said, I said to her, rightly revealing God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and their oneness, to rightly release people 
in all he's called them to be. That's it. That's my sentence. And that really sticks for me, and it was interesting. I, I came back to Bath, and there's a guy there who sees angels. There's lots of people that say they see angels. Some of them are nuts. I, I just, uh, you just got to get used to it. If you're going to be around Christians for a long time or anything associated with Christianity, get used to the fact that there are some serious lunatics out there. And we just need to call it sometimes. But anyway, that's another story. He said, I see angels. Oh, no. But I'd said this word in South Africa. He said, but it's a big angel standing right behind you with a sash across his chest. What's going on inside me at this time isn't overly godly, by the way. I'm thinking, you've got about five minutes before I just punch you. I probably wouldn't have punched him. I'm not allowed to do that anymore from previous life. And he says, and on this guy's sash, on this angel's sash, is revealing God to reveal his people. I thought, well, maybe you have to go after I'll let you off. But I'm a passionate mind. Why? Because actually this identity thing is crucial because it's how you change the world. My oldest daughter, Kirsty, who's also outstanding, social worker, works uh, in London, often in court, actually. Uh, not for wrong things she's done. <laughs> but, uh, or, or wrong things I've done, for that matter. But she represents children in court, I don't, you know, uh, very often, so does a great job there. But she said to me uh, last Christmas, I think it was, uh, Dad, you, you have any idea how much pressure there is being your child and this thing you keep on saying, I'm a world changer, I just don't feel I am. And she said, and, and before you say anything, I know you'll be really nice now, and you'll say, well, I think you're a world changer, you know, which is sort of like, like kids when they grow up think that's a bit, because it's a bit cheesy at that point, isn't it? And my, the one daughter you haven't heard of, Elspeth, so far, she says, Dad, you saying you love me doesn't mean anything. You have to. It's in the rules. <laughs> you know, so it's a bit unfair. I don't know how you get around that. But anyway, Kirsty, she, uh, she said, I don't know how, uh, you know, I just don't, I can't live up to the expectations. And I said, what expectations? She, she says, well, it's not what you've ever said. You've only ever said you love me and actually you're proud of me. But it's just, when I think of world changes, I think of people like you, Dad. You travel all over the place and things happen. This is a, I think it's a funny story. You shouldn't really say that, should you? Because it's funny to me. She'd come to meet us out there. It was a surprise visit for Jenny. And we'd gone to go and look for animals in one of the safari parks in South Africa. And she wanted to see whales on the way. And so uh, I said, it's out of whale season. But we're going to the base where whales are. You never know. And while we were there, we got there in the evening. We said, let's just go down to the beach and have a look. And we went down and there was a a promenade thing, a wooden thing there. And I said, well, it's out of season, uh, Kirsty, so I don't know what. And I was looking to see, and then I turned around to look at her, and I said, if there are whales going to be here, they'll be just there. And I pointed like that. I've got my back to the sea. She's looking, and I watch her face just drop. Because as I pointed, exactly where I pointed, a whale <laughs> jumps out. If you've got it, you got it. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to say that's what I can do, but it wasn't me. It was, it was just, I think it was God saying, let's have a laugh at them. And just, you know, anyway, although we do have a lot of people now queuing up to go into the game parks with us because things just tend to happen. But that's because I'm his favorite. What can you do? You know, just, you can borrow the colored coat. You just can't keep it. Anyhow, back to the thing at hand about identity. 
What I said to Kirsty was this. No, you don't understand it. And this is what I want to say to you. If you want to be a world changer, and don't look around you and think, well, who's impressive here to change the world? How you change the world is this. Romans 8, which is the chapter before. All creation groans as in the pains of childbirth for what? Someone to do something impressive? No, no, no. For the sons and the daughters of God to be revealed. To change the world, God wants you to get that you, who you are, the one he's made, is loved beyond all reason and designed with purpose in mind. The earth is moved when you become you. That's how the world is changed. You'd think that'd be obvious, really, because the one thing you can guarantee you can be world champion over, isn't it? Nobody else can be you like you can be you. Now, I think I need to come to an end because this is, what's the time? About a quarter past, isn't it? We should finish. Is that about right? Okay, so we'll. I think you've got the gist of this. And all I'm going to do is keep on saying it again in different ways. That's what's going to happen. You know that. You know what his preachers are like. And so, basically, you need to be born again from him. If you don't need it from him, it's a waste of time anyway. And so I'm going to jump to the end. Uh, and we're going to miss out a load of the notes here, which is probably uh, just as well. I don't, but I'm, I'm going to mention three different, three different sort of stories to, to finish up with. One of them is not my own either. Uh, these just to think about on this one. I think this is one of the things we're going to face in this coming generation. It's, God spoke to me recently. It's not, this one's not about Jacob and Esau. This is about Ishmael and Isaac. A lot of what we do in Christianity is Ishmael. I think a lot of the majority is. And do you know what I mean by Ishmael? It's part promise and part pragmatism. There was a promise of a son. This time next year we'll have a son. And then we sort of put church together and our plan together. So we have promise and a plan, and what we have is Ishmael. And the vast majority of Christendom I look at, sadly, seems to me to be Ishmael. And you say, well, surely God's blessing it. Well, yeah, Abraham prayed, can Ishmael not live under the blessing? And he said, yeah, well, of course he can, but he can't inherit the promise. So you want a bit of blessing, fine, stay as Ishmael. But if you want the promise, Isaac is born from Sarah, and basically... And I'll rattle through these ones. Out of barrenness. Again, has to be born from above. Sometimes we've got to wait to let God birth something. Or wait on him to let him birth it. Rather than just come up with a plan. It should be so incredible when God births it that we laugh, like Sarah laughed. But most importantly, when God said this time next year we'll have a son, what was the one thing she could do? I know we're Christians, we like that, don't we? We're in the West, we have to be able to do something. She had to keep on sleeping with her husband. And what do I mean by that? What God wants to birth comes from continual intimacy with our bridegroom, Jesus. That's how he births it. It doesn't come from a brainstorm. It doesn't come from trying to work it out. It doesn't come from coming up with a plan. It comes from continual intimacy with him. And that's different, by the way, from just being in his presence. I know these days there's a big thing about just being in the presence of God. Listen, Judas was in the presence of God for three and a half years and still betrayed Jesus. Presence isn't, won't cut it. Read the Old Testament for that. It's actual intimacy. 
with Jesus himself is what births promise, our bridegroom. So that's one thing. But then the other two stories. It is... I want to finish with the personal one about you guys, really, what I feel God is saying. But this one, it doesn't matter if you know this person or not. But for me, possibly the greatest communicator preacher I've heard is a guy called C.J. Mahaney from America. He sort of went off the rails at some point, but in the olden days, he used to speak for about an hour and a half. It wasn't that he spoke for an hour and a half. There's only 20 minutes content in it. But he basically spent an hour and 10 minutes making you laugh and then cry and then all over the place. You want this emotional journey. And in it, and I don't think I could say this about any other preacher, the 20 minutes that God wanted to say to you was nailed to your soul. That's all I can put it. It was like, I think I can remember every single message I ever heard that man speak. Because he did that. Yet, the greatest message I ever heard was not one of his. It was by a guy who may, some of you may be familiar with, if you're old enough, Bryn Jones. Because uh, I, I happened to be in the Wales Bible Week. And if you were there, you will remember this. And Bryn was speaking on the cross. And this has stayed with me. And it's almost like this is the mantra now, the battle cry, what he's about to come up with. He's speaking on the cross. And for my sins, it was a hot day, hot uh, covering in the place. It's a midsummer. You know what these Bible weeks used to be like. And he was preaching on the cross. I remember it very well because I was feel I've got to go. I'm falling asleep here. And I feel guilty. Speaking on the cross, I should be a bit more interested. It's something holy, is it? You fall asleep during a message on the cross. Uh, so I did something, you know, which I don't know was more holy or not. I said to Jenny, I said, I'm going. I can't stay awake. And Jenny said to me, which I'm forever grateful for, don't. It's about to get special. <laughs> don't leave, which is a prophetic word. And I thought, okay. Anyway, from then, halfway through this message, or two-thirds of the way through the message, he started speaking on the actual, he'd done the Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he jumps to Psalm 24. And he says, Jesus has, been, has died on the cross. The next thing happens, he, he goes to hell, he, he sorts that out. And then he, goes, he starts going back to heaven. And he paints this picture. It's almost like you could see it open up before you. That's the only way I can describe it. I felt I saw the heavens open. It wasn't just I was hearing it. And as he's talking about this, he said, it's the end of Psalm 24. As Jesus approaches heaven, he's won the victory over Satan. It says, swing wide the gates, open your ancient doors that the king of glory may come in. Swing wide the gates, <laughs> open your ancient doors that the king of glory may come in. He's coming in victorious. And it says, as Jesus walks through the doors, a party breaks out in heaven. Because if the angels rejoice in the presence of one sinner who repents, just imagine what they do when the price for all sinners who are going to repent is known to have been paid and sorted and done. He says this incredible party erupts in heaven. And suddenly worship broke out in the auditorium, uh, uh, which was pretty amazing in and of itself. And then he says, I need to quieten you down, he said, because a, a, a thing goes on in heaven. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sit down together and say, actually, it's not done yet, though, is it? And he did it really well, but he says, and the Holy Spirit says, sort of straining at the leash, it's my turn. And basically, that's what they came to. It's now, it's Jesus has done all he's going to do. The Father said, now, Holy Spirit, go and finish the work for which Jesus came. And he says, the party that began in heaven suddenly begins on earth. You know it as Pentecost. All of a sudden, the actual victory of, what, of Jesus' achievements starts to burst into life in all these people in Jerusalem. 
We call it Pentecost. And then, with creative words, he said, Satan, on the other hand, is in hell, and he's got one heck of a headache. Because Jesus has crushed his head under his feet. And so, with this headache, he said, what is this noise going on? This party's going on. Ah, I'm already in agony, and now this. And so he sends a demon. You won't find this bit in the Bible, by the way. It's just, it's painting a picture. He sends a demon up to go and find out. And this demon is the first demon to actually watch, visibly watch Pentecost. So he sees it happen. And he comes back down. And Satan says, come on in, what is it? What's going on up there? My head is killing me. He says, you're not going to like it, boss. He says, well, spit it out. And this is, this is the line that will stay with me. Because basically, if you wanted a, a manifesto for all that Jesus is doing, it's said in this, this next line. I don't want to build up too much, but it, for me it was. You know that one who crushed us under his feet? He's just gone and multiplied himself. He's just gone and... <laughs> It moves me so much every time I say it. He's just gone and multiplied himself. What is the kingdom of God about? He's just gone and multiplied himself. It isn't about a plan or a doing. It's about a being. That the Lord of glory has done everything so that his DNA can be multiplied in us so that you don't just do Jesus stuff. You become Jesus but in your personality and character type. He's just gone and multiplied himself. And this is where I'm finishing, because even though it's an incredible story, it comes back to where you are at Lifeline too. John and I were talking about, we used to meet regularly with a guy called Dave Mansell, who'd been involved when Bryn and Kerry and Terry and all those guys were first in the, the renewal in the 50s. I wasn't alive then, by the way. Uh, I'm talking about the 1950s. I, was, I really wasn't alive then. Not the 1850s when John... No. <laughs> Joking. But we came with a lot of young people there, uh, and a lot of them said at the end of the weekend, it'd be one of the most significant weekends of change they'd ever, ever had. And Dave Mansell, funny enough, he didn't talk about how Bryn and Terry and... Arthur Wallace and all these folks who'd worked and done things. He just talked about how through all his failures and sins and mess, and even some of his successes, what God had done is drawn him closer and closer to falling in love with Jesus and becoming like him. And it broke us and it changed us and it molded us because that is the story. He's going to multiply himself. He's looking for a bride like him. And what the word is, is honor your birthright. Honor your birthright. The blessing's inevitable. But it's just if you go for the blessing, it'll kill you. And your birthright, I don't mean you start worshipping John. I'm not saying that. Is that you start asking the question, what has motivated these guys? And the people that you look up to in Christ. Look for the heartbeat, the birthright, the DNA, the life that has caused them to become them. And then you respond to the life of God in Jesus himself, and in, in those people. And when that's multiplied, well, it should be your shape and size and flavor. But that's how this will multiply and change the earth. That really is a lifeline. <laughs> Let me pray.
Father, thank you for your people, your children here. And Lord, I pray, I pray, Holy Spirit, you've got to do what I can't do and bring new birth here to people. I mean, including if someone doesn't even know you, bring new birth to them, Lord. May they suddenly see you in a way they've not seen you before. But Lord, for all of your people, may there be an increasing revelation of you. That as we behold you, we become like you. That you multiply yourself in us. That far from despising our birthright, it's what we long for. You and to become like you. So do that, I pray. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Lifeline Church. We hope this message has been an encouragement to you. We are a relational church with a passion to demonstrate God's love to one another and our surrounding community in real and practical ways. We believe that God has called us to have an impact on our families, our communities and our nation. We'd love to connect further with you, so please do visit our website at lifelinechurch.co.uk on Facebook, lifeline.church.uk or Twitter at Lifeline UK. Thank you.